I'm sure you've heard these words, and I'm sure that you have sung these words many times. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Anybody heard that song before? That's uh, one of the verses of Amazing Grace. When I think about the dangers and toils and snares through which I have already come, I have to think of God's amazing grace. If it were not for the grace of God, I would not be here. Nor would you. The very fact that you entered into this world is by the grace and design and foreknowledge of God. Just the birthing process. One seed gets ahead of the pack of thousands of seeds and fertilizes one egg and that union becomes you. So you are the product of a winner of the race. Think about it. You started out in life as the winner of a race. Just imagine the New York Marathon or the Boston Marathon. Thousands and thousands of people in that race. And you crossed the finish line before all of them. Think about it. Think about it. You were born a winner. You were conceived a winner. And the Bible says that God knew you beforehand. And God planned for you to be. And God has a purpose for your life. It's not without struggle. It, you could have been outrun by one of the other contenders in the race and you wouldn't be here. Think about it. I think about the times where I sat on the back porch with my dad. We had three porches at our house. We had a front porch that faced west. We had a back porch that faced east. And then off the kitchen was a, a side porch that faced the north. For some reason, my dad loved to sit on that north-facing porch. And we would sit there as I was growing up. From the time I was born till I was 13, we lived in that house. And he would point out the north star. He would point out old Ryan's belt. He would point out the Milky Way and, you know, tell me all kinds of stuff about life and nature. 
And then he'd start talking about and reminiscing on uh, his childhood, his younger years. He was born in 1911, which meant he was in his 20s during the Great Depression. He talked about how he would hop the freight trains and ride out to the West Coast to pick fruit and tell story after story about how he fell off the freight train, he fell asleep and rolled off the freight train or, or uh, almost died or, you know, somebody takes shots at him and, and uh, you know, uh, how perilous and dangerous that was. And then he talked about how uh, he escaped the Great Depression by being drafted into the Army and uh, 1940, and before he even left the United States, he uh, got a real bad case of malaria in Fort Polk, Louisiana, and uh, eventually he got on a ship, and uh, a, a troop carrier ship in a convoy going across the Atlantic Ocean, and he talked about how those German U-boats would shoot those ships out and sink those ships and he would see the whole shipload of soldiers just like himself go down with no survivors. And he said they started out with about 100 ships, and then when they got to England, there was about 45 ships. And his was just one of those that made it. A lot of, a lot of soldiers died just trying to get to the fight. And then he talked about how when he was finally uh, privileged to enter the combat, enter the battle, was on June the 6th, 1944. And his beach of uh, assignment was Omaha Beach. And he talked about coming off of that boat onto that beach that was blood red with the blood of U.S. soldiers, bullets whirling and whizzing around him as he's driving a truck loaded with ammunition ammo for George S. Patton's tanks. Imagine bullets flying everywhere and you're driving an ammo truck. And then he told about the day-to-day miss, near misses where bombs would fall near him or uh, one night he was in a foxhole and uh, it was raining and there was a, he had a tarp stretched over that foxhole so he could lie down underneath that tarp and stay dry. And nature called. Y'all know what that means, right? Nature called. And so he uh, pulled his tarp back, got out of the foxhole, closed it back up, and went to the latrine. And while he was at the latrine, there was an explosion. The enemy had launched a mortar attack. So he runs back to get in his foxhole, and when he gets to the foxhole, the tarp is split right down the middle. And in the bottom where his head would have been was a piece of shrapnel about 24 inches long. Just everyday stuff. One day he's foraging through a a farm out in the country looking for something to eat. Because they get tired of those K rations or whatever, C rations, whatever they were. And so he's... uh, He's going through this farm, and he finds some chickens, and he finds some eggs. So he takes his helmet off, and he fills his helmet with eggs. He's got that under one arm. He, he grabs a chicken by the legs. So he's got, he's got a helmet full of eggs, and he's got a chicken. 
He got his gun, his rifle, over his shoulder. And he goes up to this barn door and he kicks the door open. And there inside the barn door was a squad of German soldiers led by an SS officer. And as soon as they see him with his helmet full of eggs and his chicken, they threw up their arms and surrendered to him. Yeah. They, were, they, had, they had made a, a determination that they were going to surrender to the first American soldier they saw. I'm glad they made that determination. Because you see, that was before I was born. That was before I won that race. I wouldn't, have been even, I wouldn't have even been in the race if those German soldiers had not been of a mind to surrender. And on and on and on and on, my dad tells those stories. And then he comes home from the war. And after he's home, he meets my mother and marries my mother. And I came later. Amazing grace. If it were not for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here. Neither would Aaron. Neither would Heather. Neither would Marley. Our, all of our lives would have been vastly different. And if that wasn't you know, serious enough, I don't know what my granddaddy, my great-granddaddy, and my great-great-great-granddaddy, you know, I don't know how many times their lives were in jeopardy and God preserved them. If any one of my ancestors had perished, I wouldn't be here. So you think you don't matter? You think your life is insignificant? You have no idea what God had to do just, to, just so you could enter into this life. And then how many times has He preserved our lives since then? Before I was even born, my mother got very sick. Deathly sick. And she knew she was dying. And she had a dream. They thought they were going to have a little girl because my brother, my oldest brother, was a boy and they wanted a girl. And uh, so she had a dream. She's sick. She's sick unto death. And in this dream, she sees a man standing in a dark suit holding a Bible in his hand preaching the gospel and at his feet was coiled a rattlesnake around his feet. And she knew, she knew instantly that her sickness was an attack of the devil designed to kill her baby before he was born. And so she began to call out to God and she heard heaven's choir singing. She says the most beautiful music she ever heard in her life. She said it really spoiled her. From then on, earthly choirs sounded like so much rasping, you know, because heaven's choir was so beautiful. And as the choir began to sing, she was instantly healed. That snake, that serpent disappeared from around my feet. But that wasn't the, the last attempt of the devil. Remember, I told you the devil, he, he stays up all night trying to figure out how to get you the next day. And uh, Oral Roberts came to town in September of 1950, and put up his tent 
about two blocks from where my parents' house, where I grew up, on, on the top of the hill. And so my mother, even though she's eight and a half months pregnant, she wanted to go to the Oral Roberts meeting. And so my dad agreed to take her. So they, they, uh, they went to the meeting, and during the meeting, it started raining. And my dad remembered that he had parked in the dirt. And so he didn't want to get stuck in the mud, so he convinces my mother to get up and leave the service. And so they got up, went out to the car, and, and drove away, went the two blocks to our house. And as, as they were turning into the driveway, there was a big flash of lightning, and they looked back towards the tent, and they saw a tornado dip down and pick the tent up and drop it. And the tent fell, but all the tent poles fell onto the congregation, and people, uh, many people were injured. Evelyn Roberts, old Roberts' wife, received a broken arm, and uh, old Roberts got sued <laughs> for, you know, these people, they come to church, and then something bad happens, they sue the preacher. Like it's his fault. But anyway, uh, my parents didn't do that. But my mother knew that was, that was another attempt. She saw it. She took it personally. as another attempt to kill her baby. So when I was born, my mother knew what I was destined for. Yes. And she was like Mary. She pondered those things in her heart, but she kept it to herself. When I was 16 years old, I finally surrendered to that call. And I went and told her that I was called to preach. And she said, I know that. I knew that before he was born. And then she told me about the dream story, you know. And uh, so I said, why didn't you tell me? She said, I didn't want, I didn't want to put pressure on you. I wanted you to make that decision yourself. But between the time I was born and the time I started in the ministry, I grew up, you know, in the 50s and 60s. When we didn't have all the you know gadgets, we didn't have color TV. We were lucky if we had TV. Period. And when we did have TV, we only had three channels. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and so you know, uh, gadgetry and entertaining yourself with gadgets was a, a thing we never even dreamed about. We played outside. Amazing. Yeah, I grew up outside. And. Uh, uh, one of the games we loved to play when I was a kid is we'd get on top of the house and we'd go up to the peak of the house and we would run down the roof of the house to the edge and jump out and see who could jump out the farthest. That was crazy. And we did it over and over and over again. And then we had trees. We had big, tall trees in our yard. I can't tell you how many times I fell out of those trees. Sometimes I was pushed out. <laughs> My mother would lock the screen door, and we were not allowed to come in the house till the sun went down. And I remember one time my brother, my older brother, Jerry, discovered a post hole digger. And so he dug a hole as deep as he could get it. And then he somehow or another talked me into getting in that hole. And then he covered it up. Uh, I remember one time my dad had to knock my brother out cold to prevent him from killing me. 
He had a temper. I remember another time my mother had to beat my brother with a water hose to get him off of me because he was pounding me into the dirt. Well, the mud by the time the water hose was introduced. She first tried to hose us down. Next thing I knew, I was drowning with my face down in the mud. And, and she realized, and so she took the water hose, doubled it up, and started beating on him until he finally let go. See, it's the grace of God I'm here today. I'm telling you. I have, I have wrecked three automobiles totally. Total. Totaled them. And none of them are my fault. And on all occasions, I, would, uh, I stood beside the, 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 the wreckage of my car and marveled that I wasn't dead. I can't tell you all the times that I came close to dying. Because I don't know all the times, neither do you. You don't know how many times God has preserved your life. But we are all here this morning by the grace of God. All the near misses. I, I remember one time in the seventh grade. Seventh grade, people. I'm standing on the front steps of my junior high school. And my classmate, Jerry, no, Jesse, his name was Jesse Diaz. Just, I mean, we were first grade all the way through school together. We were you know, friends. But on this particular day, Jesse's high on something. And I made the mistake of tapping him on the shoulder and to say hi to him. And he turned around with these demon eyes and put a switchblade right in my sternum. And it was just the grace of God that our, his friends pulled him away before he shoved it all the way in. I came that close. I came that close to being dead on the front steps of my school. I mean, I could go on and on and on, and if I gave you the floor, every one of you have story after story after story after story. Once you ran that race and was conceived, <laughs> the struggle began. It's by the grace of God that any of us are here. Can you say amen? amen. So we could all sing this with, with uh, absolute accuracy. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far. Can you say amen? amen. Now I want you to turn, me to, Roman, turn to Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. I'm talking to you about the grace of God that is operative in your life right now. The grace of God is on you right now. Just think about where you could be. Think about what could have happened. I woke up this morning about 5 o'clock with that refrain going through my mind. And I began to 
recount some of the things I just shared with you about how miraculous it is that I'm standing here before you today. And I realize that your life is as much a miracle as mine. God has brought you from all kinds of places. He's brought you out of all kinds of negative situations. He's brought you from all parts of the world. I mean, San Francisco, Panama, the Philippines, Nebraska, New York, <laughs> Boston. I mean, just Texas. Just right here in this room, I mean, just think of the varied backgrounds. And none of us started out... Uh, in the denomination or in the belief system that we're in right now. I mean, we've got everything from total heathens to Baptists to Catholics to Assembly of God to Church of God, Methodist. Anybody in here but know who the Methodist in our group is? Who? Robert Fellows. How many of you would ever guess that Robert Fellows was a Methodist? Were you a Methodist? AME? Regular? You're AME. I'm one, I'm one of those Assembly of God kids. Amen. Reformed. <laughs> she said that. Okay. Reformed. Okay. I mean, just, just think about what it took for God to assemble this congregation. And you think you think uh, having church is easy? It is for God, but it you know it, it's a it's a miracle. Romans eight twenty eight. We I'm going to read this from the Amplified. Anybody know why? Because it amplifies it. So this is the Amplified Bible. Romans eight twenty eight. We are assured and know that God, being a partner in their labor. All things work together and are fitting into a plan for good to and for those who love God and are called according to His design and purpose. For those whom He foreknew, of whom He was aware and loved beforehand, He also destined from the beginning foreordaining them to be molded into the image of His Son and share inwardly His likeness that He might become the firstborn among many brethren. Let's just stop there. In these two verses, we discover something. We discover that when you take all things and you insert God into them, they work out. All things work out when God is involved. And they don't just work out. They work out for our good. All things work out for the good, the benefit of those who love God. 
How many of you love God? To know Him is to love Him. And who, who are called according to His design and purpose. We're all lovers of God and we're all called of God according to His design and purpose. Now what do we learn from this verse? We learn that God makes everything work out for our good according to His plan for our life. God has a plan. Turn to your neighbor and say, God has a plan. And God makes everything work out for that plan. God has a plan and He works His plan. I have told you the the mathematical probabilities of the prophetic words concerning Jesus coming to pass in one person's life. It's mathematically impossible, improbable for one person to fulfill every one of those prophecies concerning Jesus. And we know that about Jesus, amen? But what we may not know is it's true concerning God's plan for you. If you cooperate with God, that's the key. You've got to love God and you've got to cooperate with God. But if you cooperate with God, even if you got way off track, even if you messed up royally, read the Old Testament concerning Israel. How many times did they mess up? How many times did they anger God and incur His wrath? And how many times did God say, I'll forgive you and I'll get you back on track? Every time. Why is that in the Bible? For our good. For our benefit. It's to instruct us concerning the character of God. No matter how much we mess up, no matter how much we blow it, no matter how way off track we got, we'll turn our lives over to the Lord He'll get us back into the, into the plan. We might be there a little late, but God knows how to make up for lost time. Amen. I, I, was, thinking, you know, I was thinking about... <laughs> some of the young people and some of the kids I know and how they exasperate their parents and how we tend to want to get down on them a little bit, but then I remember, I didn't get saved till I was 12. You know, I was a hellion until I was 12. Look at all that lost time. Some of you, you know, you didn't get saved till you were in your 20s and 30s, 40s. I've got friends that are in the ministry today and are very, very used of God in the ministry today, that just, you know, up until they were mid-30s, late-30s, were alcoholics. Our speaker next Sunday morning, Dr. Bill Jenkins, was an alcoholic until in his 30s. And he got saved, and God's making something out of his life. I was pastoring churches when that man was attending Alcoholics Anonymous. Now he's my pastor. 
See how quickly God can make up for lost time. He redeems the years that the canker worm has eaten and the locusts have eaten. Amen? So, God's plan is there for your life. God's purposes have been already laid out for eternity. Before the foundation of the world, He says you were foreknown and foreordained to follow a certain plan and purpose. Now, it's not fatalism. Fatalism is when you have no choice in the matter and you're forced to do it. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just fate. No, we're not fatalists. God has given us the free will choice. We can choose His plan. We can choose His way. Or we can reject it. Some people live their whole lives and never begin step one of their foreordained, predestined purpose. But others of us can discover it today. And today's not too late. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. I mean, you, I don't care how old you are. You might be in your 70s. And you may have never, ever, ever began putting the first step on your destiny. You've lived all this time for yourself. Self-willed. Totally oblivious to God's plan and purpose for your life. But you can start today, and before you die, you can fulfill your purpose. I had a man come to me one time. He was in his uh, late 60s, and uh, we stood out in my front yard, and he, he wept. He had, his, he had his head in his hands, and he was weeping because he had just recently been saved. And he said, I have wasted my whole life. And I told him what I just told you. God can redeem the years that are lost. And I said, your, your purpose may not be a 70-year track. Maybe God called you for a time and a season like He did Esther in the Bible. You know, we don't hear the whole life story of Esther. We just hear about one t little short brief period in her life where she, she was told, for you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And I told this man, I said, your purpose, your calling, God's, God's plan for your life could very well be fulfilled in a day. That encouraged him. That encouraged him. So you're never too late to find your destiny. Amen? You just need to be seeking it. Amen. Your birth was no accident. It was foreknown and destined from the very beginning that you should be here and that you should become like Jesus in your nature and character. That's God's highest purpose for your life, is for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Amen? Not for you to become famous. Not for you to write a best-selling book. Not for them to make a movie out of your life. Your highest purpose in life is to become conformed to the image of Jesus. And you can get there. Amen. You can get there. Praise God. 
Well, look at the next verse, verse 30. It says, And those whom He has thus foreordained, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And in parentheses, the Amplified Bible adds these words, defining justified. Acquitted. Made righteous. Putting them into right standing with Himself. And we know the, uh, the old cliche that justified means just as if I'd never sinned. In other words, God's grace in your life can bring you to a place where your life will look like you had never sinned. That means it will not have the scars of sin. It will not have the fruit of sin. It will not have the rejection that sin brings. You can, you can find a place in God where you are so put back on the right track that it looks like you never left it. I've heard testimonies from people and I no, 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 there's no way. There's no way you were in that kind of a lifestyle. There's no way you were that bad of a sinner because the person I'm looking at has been so affected by God's grace that they look brand new. And they look like they never strayed. <laughs> How many of you have ever strayed? Wouldn't it be great if your life would look like you never strayed? Wouldn't it, look, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if people look at you and, and you tell them your testimony, you tell them where you came from, and they say, oh, no, I don't believe that. Some of the godliest men I know used to be some of the worst people on earth. How many of you have met Ron DePriest? <laughs> Every time I look at Ron DePriest, I say, grace. That's grace. That's the picture of grace. That man was so bad, I wouldn't have been seen with him. He's the kind of man that it would have hurt my reputation to be seen with him. And when I look at that man, I think there is the embodiment of God's grace and mercy. You see, grace doesn't come to keep you in sin. Grace comes to get you out of it. Grace doesn't come to excuse it. It comes to remove it and remove you from it. And so this Scripture is saying that if we are in Christ, we are justified. We are made as though we never got off track. Talk about burying your past. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Why, well, I'm really glad that I'm not going to have to face my sins when I get to heaven. Amen. Do you know that a lot of people have this idea when they get to heaven, God's going to bring everybody together, and He's going to hit the replay button of your life, and all of your sins are going to be played out on the big screen. Everybody sitting out there with 
3D glasses, watching all your mistakes, all your sins, everything you ever thought, said, or did that was wrong. That is far from the truth. Your sins will not be remembered past the moment you get saved. Past the moment the blood of Jesus is applied. The Bible says your sins are cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Your sins are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. The Bible actually goes to say this. God will not remember your sins against you. So you know what? When we get to heaven, there's not going to be a replay. There's not going to be this dragging out all the stuff that I've hid in the closet. Because I took it out of the closet a long time ago and I put it under the blood. And I'm a new man. And I've done that as recently as last Sunday when we took communion. When we take communion and we drink the blood and eat the bread, we apply it to our hearts. And no sin is remembered against us beyond that moment. Every day. I'm, I'm, real, I'm, real, I'm a real stickler about being clean. I start every day with a fresh shower. Ruth will tell you. Every morning, first thing I do is go take a shower. Well, I shave and then I take a shower. Aren't y'all glad? And I apply the suds. And I shampoo my hair. Every morning I shampoo my hair. That may be why it's getting kind of thin. You know, I wash it every day. Because I, I, just, I just want to be clean. But you know, while I'm doing that, I'm applying the blood to my heart. And so you know what? I might have been a rascal yesterday. Ruth might tell you I was in a bad mood yesterday. But she's talking about something that doesn't exist today. Why? Because I repented of it. I, I apologized. And I applied the blood. I'm clean as a whistle today. And clean shaven. And I have clean hair. Okay. So. I'm a brand new man. It, all, it goes on in verse 30. He says, And those whom He justified, He also glorified. In parentheses, it says, Raising them to a heavenly dignity and condition or state of being. Not only did He justify you, get you back on track, but He raised you up to a heavenly dignity. So what have we learned? We're called of God. We've been acquitted and made right with God. And now we're raised to a heavenly dignity and state of being. Ephesians 2, listen to this, verse 1 through 10. Y'all don't mind a little bit of Scripture, do you? And you, everybody say me. me. And you hath he quickened, that means to be made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. 
You walked according to the Spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. How many of you would admit that, you know, before Christ, that was you? It was me. I was 12 years old, but I was being led about by the lust of the flesh. But I want you to see what it says now. But God. Everybody say, but God. God who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and has raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's elevated us to a place of dignity. You can't get more dignified than sitting at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. What then shall we say to all this? Back to Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, one of the most liberating thoughts you'll ever have is when you discover that God is for you. God is not against you. God is for you. God is with you. God is in you. Amen? Amen. What grace. And he mentioned grace all through that passage. For by grace are you saved. Amen? So, verse 32. Romans 8, 32. He who did not withhold or spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, Will he not also with him freely and graciously give us all other things? Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things that people seek after. Clothes, food, shelter shall be added unto you. You seek God and God will withhold no good thing from you. Why? Because of His grace. With Him, He will freely and graciously give us all other things. If God did not withhold His own Son, why would He withhold anything of lesser value? You don't lose with the stuff we use. Say it with me. We don't lose with the stuff we use. We win. We win. All we have to do is let the grace of God be applied to our lives. We're here today by the will and plan of God. 
And God intends for us to interact and influence each other's lives in a gracious manner because we are a people with divine destiny, every one of us. One of our core principles that we abide by in this church is that every person matters. Every person is significant. Amen. Every person is important to God. Therefore, they're important to us. You matter to me. I think about all the times I could have died. (laughs) And I'm so thankful that God let me live so I can know you, be a part of your life. A few years ago when I was 52, my wife, 33 years, died. I thought I died too. I thought, every, I thought my life is over. I felt absolutely and totally unimportant. But do you know, just months later, Ethan and Stephanie came into my life. Ethan. I've got a little video saved in my archives of three-year-old Ethan sitting in the middle of the back seat of Aaron's truck. And he said, Grandpa, I love you. That was no big deal to whoever made the video and sent it to me, but it saved my life. I mean, I was in my 50s. You'd think, you would have thought that day that the 50 years before that didn't matter. And I began a new chapter. And then it wasn't long. Marley was born. And just something about that just changed my life. Then the next year, same year, Ruth comes along. Dragon Ashley, Angela, Amy, Bobby, the boys and the girls. Now I got ten grandkids. When I had none, when I thought my life was over, I had no grandchildren. Now I've got ten. More to come, right? (laughs) David's The grace of God makes life worth living. The grace of God turns sorrow into joy and rejoicing. You may think you've come to the end, but man, you're you're not at the end until you are walking through the pearly gates. Amen? You're not at the end until it's over. It's not over until it's over. Why not choose to spend the rest of your days enjoying the full benefit of the grace of God 
and the blessing of God for your life. Bow your heads with me for just a moment. And I'm just going to ask you to quietly consider and contemplate what I've been saying. First of all, we need to give thanks that God allowed us to live. Truly, half of the pregnancies in this country are aborted. How many scientists, artists, leaders, pastors, preachers, teachers, missionaries were never allowed to live because they were aborted? When you look at all the statistics and realize how precarious just being born is, I thank God I was allowed to live. And it took a supernatural healing for me to be allowed to live. And then when I think of all the times in my life that I could have died, should have died, would have died, if God hadn't have intervened, I thank Him for the grace. How many of you see that? You thank Him for the grace. Well, let's stand together and let's just sing this slightly familiar song. And let's sing it from our heart. It's about the grace of God in our lives. Hallelujah. Now just lift your hands to the Lord right now and repeat this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank You for the grace that You have put into my life. Thank You for Jesus by whose blood I am cleansed. Thank You for washing my sins away and forgiving all my mistakes. And I ask You now to put me on track to Your great plan and purpose and let my life be all You intended for it to be. And for Your grace to be sufficient for me to bring me to my expected end. I receive Your mercy and Your abundant grace in the name of Jesus. Amen.